Let's do a two-minute warm-up. So, okay. So here's let's just be, have a reminder of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Tim. Tim has to talk. And Tim's on us him. talking about what we're going to talk Tim, about doesn't okay. help unless oh, Tim talks too. Tim, we need a sound check. Sound check now. Sound check now. Sound check now. Fuck! I'm pulling up your notes. Band meeting. Band meeting. All right, no, I'm, I'm out. No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. You quit every goddamn week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Media Loper Bebop. This right here is episode six, band meeting. For the first time in Bebop history, Tim Kirk and I are all in the same room. Because I think so. Roll call. Jim Connolly. Here. You. Tim Gaskell. Me. Kirk Biglione. Him. Pop, pop. This week on Bebop, we're talking about AT&T. They're finally beefing up their wireless, but is it too little too late? Also, Jan Winter believes that print magazines have a couple of good decades left. Is he right, or is that a full decade longer than Jan Winter has left? And finally, the abortion plex. The hive mind takes an onion joke and runs with it. I hadn't... Wait. I'm completely unprepared to talk about these topics, Jim. <laughs> really? The abortion? Yes. Have you not... Have you you not haven't been following the emails? No, no. Yes, I've been following the emails. That's why I'm unprepared to talk about these topics. We settled on these topics, and then we came up with like 27 alternate topics that we're going to talk about instead of these topics. This is like jazz. So instead of being prepared to talk about these topics, I'm ready for anything, but I'm not ready for these. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. No, no, like no, no, classical no, no, musician. No, 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 wait. We're jazz musicians. We can improvise. Okay, do your research. Abortion Plex Onion. I know about the Abortion Ooh. Plex. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. AT&T. I thought we were going to talk about magazines. We are. Well, that's magazines are on here. Also, Jan Winter believes that print magazines. magazines it, it's you didn't pay attention. You weren't paying attention. Jan Venner. No, Winner. Jan Venner. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> this is going to be the funnest edit I've ever done. No, don't edit. Don't forget the umlauts. He dropped the umlauts when he came to America. By the way. Actually, Hunter Thompson tried to talk him into putting the umlauts back into his name. And he did briefly. There's one episode, there's one issue that you can find. Oh, you can't find it in the web, web archives. Why is that? Because oh, he's mismanaged his digital talk, archives. Tim, talk into one of the microphones. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one, okay, I'm talking to this one. By the way, speaking of umlauts, if you put an umlaut over the A in iPad, it's like a heavy metal iPad. Do I don't know what the fuck that means. It's the iPod. <sighs> in 2011, AT&T is at work building up our wireless network right here in the Los Angeles area. We're adding more than 40 new cell sites, increasing network capacity. And we're okay, right here, you guys pretend like I played that AT&T commercial you were supposed to listen to? Oh, I didn't have a chance to watch it. Tell me... No, it was an audio. It was an audio. Tell me... Bring me up to speed. These were radio spots that AT&T... spots. Well, they basically said, hey, guess what? We're going to add 40 new towers, and we're beefing up L.A., they were admitting the fact that... It doesn't help if they don't have a tower in your area. Right. I'm still in a dead zone. So let's well, you, let's were the, you were there this weekend, yeah. Jim. Every, everyone who had AT&T could not make a call from our house. But it's not, just, it's not just your zone. They're basically all of 
Altadena, Northern Pasadena, whatever, that whole area is a dead zone. Oh, yeah. My house, where we're recording this podcast right now, if if one of our wives was in a car wreck and tried to call us on AT&T, we wouldn't get that call, despite well, the fact I live in a suburb like two miles away from Burbank, or a mile away from Burbank, and like five miles away from downtown Los Angeles. Well, they should be texting us if they're in the car wreck. Well, here's, here's <laughs> the thing, here's the thing yeah. I object to, is before you sign the two-year contract, they tell you what their coverage is. They've got coverage maps. And they said in my area that they had excellent coverage of 3G wireless. And, and, then, and then they acknowledged after I signed the contract that it wasn't such excellent coverage. In fact, it was no coverage. How long, how, how many months did you pay them before they acknowledged Oh, that? I called them every month and I got credits and they knocked months off. And finally, they let me out of my contract early. They paid me to leave my contract because they were tired of hearing from me. <laughs> Why didn't they replace one of those trees in your front yard with a ta- one of those fake towers like we have? They got to get it on their upgrade schedule. In fact, a year ago, two, a year and a half ago, they told us that we were going to be upgraded in June of last year. And that June of last year came and went, and there was no upgrade. Well, supposedly now they're upgrading... Well, here's the thing: is we we get you know the combination of them having their coverage map showing excellent coverage until you have the contract, them marketing the best wireless in the country. The, their whole their marketing up until maybe about last year had been how great they were, and now they're starting to admit, oh, we have to acquire T-Mobile because we <laughs> we're not prepared to, to deal with the demand on our bandwidth, our wireless bandwidth. Uh, oh yes, we need to begin building out our infrastructure because we don't have the kind of coverage. Finally, finally, in the face of all of this consumer complaint, they're beginning to admit that maybe they aren't perfect. How much? But up to this point, their marketing has been built around how they are the yeah. best wireless company around. The, yeah, they did, and uh, they always said their bars. So, do so you think these commercials and stuff are they, them admitting that they weren't ready? And then also at the same time, are they only doing it because Verizon is now an option for iPhone? Customers. A couple of reasons. I think that is also it. Also, it's a precursor to the T-Mobile the thing, but also it's acknowledging when you are in one of the major entertainment hubs, you know, LA, New York, those are the two major entertainment hubs, and you know that people writing and blogging and talking about this stuff, that it affects, the de- it, it affects your downside. It really reflects badly when everybody, when in the media... You know, people that are writing for TV shows when they make jokes about it on, right? You know, late night, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff that that comes back and slaps you in the ass, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're focusing on LA. But people have been making jokes about it for, I mean, four year, almost four years now. I mean, iPhone, uh, the original iPhone came out almost four years ago next month, mm-hmm. or four years ago next month, and. People have been making jokes about it almost <laughs> from four years minus one month. Right. So I don't know if that's as big of a deal as the fact that they're losing customers to Verizon because at least for now Verizon's perceived to have better coverage than AT&T and at the very least people are, are, switch, are switching over to Verizon because how worse could it possibly be than AT&T was? I had AT&T several years before I had an iPhone. And I didn't really have any major problems with it. And then all of a sudden with the iPhone, it, it didn't seem to me that much worse. So should the AT&T T-Mobile deal go through? Should they be allowed to merge? Yes. Why? Because it's not a monopoly. Keeping in mind that 
T-Mobile and AT&T have compatible wireless systems, mm -hmm. and that's taking one of those places that you could take your iPhone to potentially and your 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 AT&T compatible iPhone, uh, iPhone theoretically should be compatible with T-Mobile. That's eliminating one of the possibilities in that in that range of technology. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it as a total. Um, <coughs> I, and Sprint is hinting that the combination of T-Mobile and AT&T might be enough to drive them out of out of the business. Which is too, which would be too bad because Sprint. Is which would leave us with two two major players. Yeah. I'm I'm opposed to the merger. I think it's bad for consumers. I, I think it would be if it were if it represented monopolistic. It does. It represents before. a move towards that. Have companies not merged before? This is a move that clearly cle This is a move that is right? is demonstrably bad for consumers. So why do you love big monopoly, Tim? Why? Do, because why do you hate? Why do you hate? Because Joe consumer. Do you own AT and T stock? Yeah. Be no. honest. No. Tim. no, no. No, I'm just saying if it's it, you look if it if it form, if it becomes a monopoly, then it'll be AT&T was what, a what, monopoly. What? Yes, it, <laughs> first of all, that is Ma Bell. Well, what what are the chances that could happen again? So if if we're screwed, what are you going to do? Move to France? Well, no. My my thing is if if this keeps costs down. Would it raise costs? Fewer op yep. Fewer options generally ra generally lower costs. Fewer fewer <laughs> options generally in the consumer market drive costs down, right? Yeah, well, That's basic economics. If the company has all the power. Of course, they're going to lower the prices right. because and they have all the by power. By that line of thinking, if we had one option, we would have the lowest cost available. Why don't we do it? <laughs> Cable TV in your neighborhood mm -hmm. is a monopoly. Yeah. Depending on where you live, it is a monopoly. Right. Yeah. 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 So you only have a choice between satellite and cable or over the air. Right. So you can. If you don't like it, don't watch TV. With phones, you have. You Read a book or some damn thing. Yeah. God, that's a nice. Oh, books. Or a magazine. Digital books. Only. You could read a magazine. And speaking of magazines, now that right there, ladies and gentlemen, was a slick segue. That's a segue. Until you pointed it out. <laughs> no, it's even better than I pointed out because that makes it meta. In the 90s, in the 90s, at the peak of my periodical obsession, I had subscriptions to at least 15, maybe Ooh. 20 different periodicals. Now I'm down to three. And yet, in a recent interview with Jan Wenner, or Jan, Jan, Jan Wenner. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Jan Wenner. Jan Wenner. He professes Aww. not to be worried. And he advises against putting periodicals on tablets like the iPad. Is Jan... Venner just whistling in the dark here. He says we have ten years, a good ten years, maybe maybe decades, twenty, maybe decades. He said up to two decades yeah, of print being the go-to medium for magazines. But I read magazines. I still read magazines. Yeah, you know we all do. When I go to the doctor's office, I still read <laughs> three-year-old magazines. So, am I the only one that doesn't actually pick up a magazine and read a physical magazine and read it? Uh, I I rarely do, but I will pick one up. Like, you know. I've been where I've worked lately. They've had some magazines laying around, some old ones, and I pick them up because it's interesting to see it, articles that were published a year ago talking about the next year and see kind of how true they are. How I pick them up and put them in the recycling bin. Yeah. Well, then why do you even have them? My wife reads magazines. Ah, uh, wait, but she won't read analog books. 
This is true. It makes no sense. I'm not making apologies for it. It I makes read no sense. I read digital websites. I read analog books. I read books on the Kindle. I'm not a snob when it comes to the delivery mechanism. It's not about. It's not about. It's not about a snob. I just have a thing that works for me. I can't change my internal, you know, optimal functioning mechanism to please you, Jim. Well, you yeah. should, A. But there's a certain way that I consume information that, that works for me, and it works that, you know, printed magazines, printed magazines, magazines in general, iPad magazines don't even really work for me. But um, the thing that, back to Jan, Venner. Venner. Winner. The thing about we might have 10 or 20 years of, of, uh, of magazines as we know them is exactly what newspaper publishers were saying 10 years ago or book publishers were saying five years ago. Well, and and were saying in those realms, but, in, but relative to print, because one of Jan Venner's arguments was that a consumer doesn't know the difference between a CD and digital and an MP3. It's still the it's still the same music, whereas the printed publication is clearly superior to a digital equivalent, mm. and that's probably true with version 1.0 of the tablet magazines, but they're going to evolve pretty quickly. They are, and they already have. First of all, if you if you look at various things, we haven't even touched on things like comic comic books. Comics are, are totally um, a big thing on the iPad now. You get a full bright color. You get, but but but, you but get, comic books but are you still get the same bright color you do in print. Comic no. comic books are something where I could see someone who reads a lot, re going through a lot of comic books on a tablet or some other device, and then buying the ones they really care about because they want the print because it's a work of art. Yeah, you you might you might want to. They're not going to. They're not. They're not going to do that with magazines. It's like downloading the MP3 and then buying the album with a comic book. I yeah I, I don't know I, I haven't I don't know if it's been around long enough to determine kind of like a, a to get to get a baseline reading on that but you know as an experience if I were a comic book reader if I were a big one it's quite good because what I like about it is you scroll through it and it's all programmed to to go through frame by. frame because when I'm reading them sometimes I can never tell which way the comics go because sometimes they jump around <laughs> well, you know, not so wait, wait, this, so this modern generation is not linear with our comic you, you books like, you like online comic books because they compensate for your own deficiencies in reading comics exactly okay. they, they so you're like a senior who needs to be guided through they step by step yeah. spoon feed <laughs> with arrows exactly. this is the next panel no but you just swipe it and it goes automatically to the next panel <laughs> And sometimes, you know, it's just easier. That's all. You know, in the last two months, I've looked at more comments, comics, sorry, than I have in the last ten years. So there, there are all kinds of, you know, it's like the iPad is like a gateway to different things that you may normally not. So have print you, have is you dead across the board? No, print isn't dead, but print. print okay, is on I'm, a, I, I'm life support. I'm going to quote Brian O'Leary. I want to get it right. <laughs> Publishing guy, Brian O'Leary. Nice. He's the piracy researcher. Print's not dead. Print alone is dead. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Print, print by itself is dead. 
analog by itself is dead. That makes sense. It's the same thing with music and film and everything else. But combinations of print and digital... Everything that comes out in print has to have a corresponding digital strategy. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, that just seems like the biggest duh ever. And the fact that, that anybody... That, that the big companies have to... Jan Venner. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Who just who said in the same interview that he had no interest in a Rolling Stone iPad app? Right. And one of the well, he outsourced ro- the RollingStone.com for like ten years yeah. to another company, and they've only just taken it back. And that's why it sucked. <clears throat> that's why it sucked. Um, but uh, th- and the thing is, what they're doing though now is you can access with with your subscription you can access the current issue or whatever and then you have to pay on top of that to access the back catalog of, of Rolling Stone. So I'm not sure if that'll work, we'll see. Um, the back catalog is a pretty powerful it's a great it's a, a pretty powerful thing. It, it is and one of the things that um, well, the well for for those those iconic magazines. Exactly. New Yorker, Rolling Stone, Playboy. Yep. Uh, who just who yeah, j- yeah. wired? Yep. Exactly. No, I totally agree. I, I agree that there's there is a, there's a huge, even things like Cream. Any ma- in fact, any magazine that appeals to a small demographic in the eighties and nineties and seventies, eighties and nineties could have a new life as a subscription app or or just a one time. I'll pay nine ninety nine to get all of the all of the copies ever of Surfer's World magazine or whatever because I love that magazine and there is information that still is pertinent to me. You know, 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's all kinds of ways they can go with it. You know, in a lot of a lot of magazines are just testing the waters now. They've opened up the subscriptions on the iPad and others. Um, they they've put their magazine on the iPad with varying degrees of success. I'm I'm starting to like what Wired has done because they're incorporating some cool video stuff with it. And the thing with magazines. And the reason I want magazines to succeed, uh, whereas with record companies, I didn't really care because the, the method of delivery is quite open for bands and you know music artists to deliver stuff on their own. Whereas with magazines, you know you have what you have is a collective voice. You you have writers that write in the style of that magazine, and it has kind of a, a feel. To it, and I like that. There are certain magazines that I've they have a voice. They have their I've, own. They have their own. Who they are. Who they are, and there's a standard that's reached. So I, I want to see them succeed. I want I want them to, you know, utilize. I want them to look, you know, be forward thinking and utilize every th- every tool that they can. Obviously, costs and implementation is a huge thing for them because their margins have been shrinking over the years. So I I kind of get that too. So I think we were, you know, at some point what we're going to see is like some some open source magazine publishing format or something that's uh, really going to bust it open. We're starting to see that, yeah. There are all kinds of new things, digital solutions, web-based, so that they're not tied to a particular platform. They can work on any platform, including your old-fashioned desktop computer. Um, but one of the problems that I've seen in the first generation of magazine apps is that print designers are so hooked on their control freaks. They want absolute control over what the page 
layout is, what the dimensions are, what the aspect ratio is. And digital is not, that's not conducive to digital. There are so many different shapes and sizes and types of devices. Yeah, we got, we got all the tablets coming out. We got the different phones, the iPhone, the Android. The difference is, is the in analog, the, the designer of the object had all the control. In digital, the, the user of the, right. of the object or of the thing and the has all the control. And the people who design magazines are not ready for that world yet. Well, they never were. So yeah, we've no. got, we're going to have a transition point where when we talk about these magazines that have this rich history, we want print fidelity because we want to be able to see from a historic perspective what those magazines look like when they came out in print New Yorker 75 years ago. But going forward, we want something that's easy to read on any device that we're using, and that's not conducive to print fidelity. So there's going to be you know, part of the transition and part of the problem with the first generation of magazine apps is even though they modify their design to fit the tablet, they modify their design to fit one tablet, mm -hmm. you can't change the type size, you can't easily select text. The, the, yeah, the, the other thing is what I, what I would like to see is I want to highlight stuff from a magazine you know, that I want to come back to and I want to bookmark it and highlight it. They don't have that yet. You that know why you can't. You know why you can't do that in in the New Yorker and similar uh, Wired. They're using the Adobe solution, which, which is, is designed to. Well, originally the Adobe solution was supposed to be Flash. Guess how that worked <laughs> out? <laughs> oh well, you know, people. Apple loves Flash. Apple said no to Flash, so Adobe had to rework their tablet solution, and they came up with a way to generate an app from your issue using InDesign, which is pretty much the standard for any print publication, professional level print publication, you use Adobe InDesign to design your publication. So now you can output um, an app, essentially, from your InDesign publication, um, and it generates an app. You've got an app wrapper with all the navigation for the articles and the issues. But what they are, what they really generate, they're PNG files. They're, they're static image files, two for each page, one for portrait, one for landscape. That's why you can't highlight text. Mm -hmm. It's an image. It's, it's a picture image. of yeah, text. Yeah. That's why you can't change the font size. No. So anyway, so Jan Venner. Jan Venner. Maybe he isn't seeing the big picture. Jan Venner is going to be retired by the time all of this is settled. Or but hopefully he's going to retire soon. Um, Can I have right. another beer? Yeah, I think we should have a stop. I'm going to pee, grab another beer. Beer break. Beer uh, break. If the other stations care so much about the new music, how come they're still playing these songs? Just because they're popular doesn't mean they're good. On KFSR, you won't hear these songs every hour. In fact, you won't hear these songs at all. For those of you willing to take a chance on something new for a change, KFSR, the real spirit of radio. The redo of Spirit of Radio, but I don't have—I don't even know what some of those songs are. 
Oh, you must know. No, I have no idea. The salt in my tears? What the fuck is that? I'm trying to figure out who wrote that. I just need to hear that. I can hear it. I know that just because it's popular doesn't mean it's good as mine. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that there was a KFSR or that there was a KKDJ counterpart that involved the spirit of radio. I seem to vaguely recall that this was like an answer song. Well. <laughs> That's even better. All I know is that I, I do I do remember like not having like the a perfect group of songs from that exact Yeah, I remember that we had trouble finding the song the the title song. Yeah, yeah, well because we had to go to the live album, even though I owned moving pictures, but I think it was Now we just download it, yeah. Yeah, now we just download it. Okay. Are we ready? So the other thing was bands going back and re recording old albums. And I think and also All Tomorrow's Parties, the the album the recording the 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 playing of the full album concert. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like I mean everybody's doing it. No, everybody. Everybody. The, the Sex Pistols? Yes. 30th anniversary, never mind the bollocks. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it. A few weeks ago, The Onion read an article on the abortion plex. It was taking the basically one of the conservative right wing's biggest fears which is abortion. It turned into absurd reality. Making it absurd, but what we realized is that there are still people in this world that don't know what the onion does. Right, and so there was... There the, was oh, and, and let's specify what it is that the onion does. They float trial balloons for the liberal media <laughs> and the liberal politicians that run this country to see how they go over. No, 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 no. So wait, so the abortion flex is actually on the card somewhere? Yes. Well, the onion where it was just, it was a test, you like test marketing. People know that, Kirk. Anyways... Pretend like you didn't say that. Pretend like the onion is satire and not trial balloon. Right. And pretend like people took it seriously when it really wasn't. And pretend that people on Yelp created reviews <laughs> for the abortion plex. Which is which the funniest thing ever. The, which is the hive mind topping the onion. Yes. I, I looked this afternoon. There were, there were 286 reviews of the abortion plex. That is... Is so completely awesome. And how many stars point. did it have? Oh, I, I'm sure it had five and a half out of five. <laughs> no, I think it was four. There were some people that felt that it was too crowded. <laughs> some people thought it was too Disney-esque. There, there have been sev- many, many, many Facebook threads responding to this Onion article. Yeah, they can't believe it, it's not true they, or whatever. Well, well that they're, they're outraged that, you know, America's going to hell. Mm-hmm. Can you believe what we're spending our tax dollars on? It's a city, by all And by the way, these are people who aren't, uh, aren't upset about us spending our tax dollars on, you know, op- war. optional wars in Iraq sure. that we didn't need to fight. Exactly. So... Is this is this is this an isolated incident, or is this like some sort of harbinger, harbinger of, of of the hive mind always taking an onion, uh, a, a made up onion thing, and and running well, with it? Well, I think with the in pro- both directions, yeah. running with it to the extreme of absurdity, running with it, wanting to believe that the worst possible thing is true. Exactly. Yeah. Remember, people want to believe, and it's a bit like I don't. Old, it's a bit like old Sarah Payne. I, I, I believe I founded on the idea that she represents. 
this I conservative ideal. Forget the fact that what she talks about is absolute crap. The stuff Tim, that comes out of her mouth. <laughs> Tim, Tim doesn't realize that Sarah Palin's a creation of the Onion. Oh. <laughs> yes. So she's like a live. Yes. You didn't know that. Embodiment. You didn't know that. Well, that makes sense because now I can. I get I'm in Alaska. <laughs> That's not even a state. I can. I can see. It. <laughs> it's a state of mind. No, it's I not can. even a state. It's not even a real place. So there's there's that. Well, I've never it's been like there. Atlantis. I can see Putin from my doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> so so wow. so she's the fictional governor of a fictional place running as yeah, for president. What's Wasilla? Exactly. Never heard of Paul Revere. <laughs> Paul Revere. Hey, that Paul Revere. You know he was coming through town and he was ringing them bells. Please, ringing the bell he for was, freedom and God. He was telling them British, you can't, you can't take our guns. You guys are doing Sarah Palin impersonations, right? Can I, can I uncover my ears now? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's the Onion. We all know that Sarah Palin is a creation of the Onion. So That's I what it comes Sarah down Palin to. Sarah Palin was a creation of Tina Fey. Like a Chris uh, Wig character, well, what's or like, or like Jimmy Carter was a creation of of Dan Aykroyd. Well, what's what's genius about her appearance today with the whole Paul Revere thing was, if Tina Fey had written that, it couldn't have been funnier. It well, I perfect. agree. I, I totally agree. Totally perfect. But anyway, getting back to our original point, what was which that? was I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Oh, Jan Venner. Jan. <laughs> No, the hive mind. Yawn. Taking Bob Dylan, it, I, Bob Dylan's seventy. No, actually, actually, there's a point here where the hive mind takes an onion article and actually tops it, which the onion is is really the arbiter of, of, of what's funny or, or mm. one of the arbiters of what's funny right now. Yeah. And the fact that that, that, that somebody they took it and ran with and it. took it and ran yeah. with it and, and in made a good it, in a good way in a good way and made <laughs> it even more absurd than it had been originally. Envisioned to me is like the best thing possible. Well, this is this is taking <clears throat> this is utilizing social media to its to its best and most ridiculous extreme in some ways. Oh. It's like taking a one line thing from like a sitcom from like The Office and turning it, spinning it off into, into some a website? into a website oh. and a product and you no. know all this crazy stuff. That would never happen right. in a million right. years. Right. I, 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 I reject your entire premise there, Caracas. Yeah. So I've never seen anything like this, but I just looked up abortionplex.com <laughs> <laughs> and and I've Ooh. never seen a, li- uh, a, a, a Who Is record like this. It's private Who Is service. A- asterisk, 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 asterisk. Please do not send letters, all cap. Contact the owner by email only. Care of abortionplex.com. <laughs> N4892 Nassau, Bahamas. Oh, <laughs> so they're not even American. So... The abortion, the abortionists aren't even American. They're trying to kill American babies with their. What what I'm getting from this is that is that the Onion did not see how big this would get. They didn't register abortionplex.com before they published the story. Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing, Tim. Oh, can I pass? I'm I'm still looking at the menu. Can Kurt go first? One more thing, Kurt. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will 
not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. We have to mention Gil Scott Heron, okay. who passed away and uh, was one of the great voices and revolutionaries of our lifetime. Um, we don't know what the cause was, but we can only assume. Did you read the New Yorker interview with him last year? No. He had a drug problem, right? Oh, he had a serious drug problem. <laughs> or could you call on Lady Day? Could you call on John Coltrane? Now, because they'll, they'll watch your troubles, your troubles, your troubles, your troubles away. He's done some prison in the last 10 years where he was like totally out of you know circulation but the revolution will not be televised uh, all of his early work from the 70s uh, he had an album last year that made many top 10 lists right. critics um, and really a lot of people are crediting him as the kind of creator of, of rap right um, he was a writer poet performer he was a unique voice of, you know, I, I put him in a category like Hunter S. Thompson, the same sort of creative, incisive, social commentary, um, and of course he passed away, and uh, it's unfortunate. Let me see if I can dial this number right quick. Click. Click. I'm sorry. The government you have elected is inoperative. Click. Inoperative. So you guys haven't seen Gil Scott Heron no. at all? No. It's unlikely now. I saw him once in the early 90s at McCabe's Guitar Shop. And he was doing two shows. Did you play guitar? Lots of people play at McCabe's. They don't necessarily play... I saw Sun Ra there and he didn't play guitar. <laughs> What does he play? So, Tim, if John Coltrane wanted to play McCabe's, you'd say, no, you're not a guitar player? <laughs> you have to go down to Steve's sax shop. <laughs> okay. It's not McCabe's guitar <laughs> So, Gil Scott Heron was playing McCabe's in the early 90s, 92, maybe 93. And um, in a two-hour set, he, had, he did two two-hour sets. It was raining. People were waiting for the second show out in the rain. He did a two-hour set. He did maybe four songs. Oh, wow. And, kind of narratives, aren't they? And a couple of spoken word pieces, and the rest of it, rest of it was just commentary, social commentary. Um, and walking out back into the rain after the show, the, the, the audience was evenly divided. There was like half the audience fuming they could not believe they paid to see Gil Scott Heron and he only played four songs <laughs> in a two hour set right and the other half like me felt it was the greatest performance they had ever seen it was wow. amazing well I saw Yolo Tango once uh, and they played one song yeah <coughs> they were opening for somebody else and it was a half hour song right but it was one song what they play it was amazing I can't was remember. it original or <laughs> but it was one song <laughs> They forgot uh, to say the name of the song. Asked for my money back. All I know, they played. <laughs> Who did they open for? Do you remember that? Yes. They played. They played. The revolution will not be televised. They did nuclear war. Oh, nuclear war! Yeah. yeah. Sabado Stereo Lab and Yola Tango. That was Tripleville. One more thing, Tim. One more thing. 
<coughs> okay, superhero movies, comic book movies. Are we sick of them? Yeah, kind of. The, my only problem is, and this seems to be um, the problem with every every one of them now, is that they all seem to kind of have the same formula. They all tend to look the same, sound the same, and kind of leave you a bit confused as to what they're all about. Uh, this month in... Well, they're about superheroes, aren't they? They're about superheroes. This month in the uh, May Vanity Fair, James Walcott wrote about uh, the superhero movie, and he just summed it up. You know, I was kind of reading through this, and, you know, I kind of, in my mind, I know what the problem I have with superhero movies and comic book movies and Transformer movies. And he kind of summed it up in one sentence very well, and I'll just uh, impart that to you. I hope this is fair use and we don't get sued by Vanity Fair. Uh, he says, for all the tremendous talent involved in the technical ingenuity deployed, superhero movies go at us like death metal. Loud, anthemic, convoluted, technocratic, ag agonistic, fireball-blossoming, scenery-crushing workloads <laughs> that waterboard the audience with digital effects, World War, f World War IV weaponry, rampant destruction, and electrical flash editing. That's my problem. It's all right there with those movies. And even though I still see some, and I, you know, eventually, if I don't see them in theaters, I see a lot of them on DVD, I do have the same kind of problem, and I hope we'll see a new, either they'll, they'll thin out and we'll get two a year rather than two a month, and they'll, they'll be of a higher quality, a higher standard, and we'll see something different. Right now, it's kind of the same. It's the, the, the white guy, um, you know, as a superhero. Why not do, one, apparently there was a superhero a comic book or something back in the 60s called The Black Panther. I never saw it. I don't know. Do you remember that one? Um, Why don't we no. see the Black Panther in um, a movie form? It's all guys like Thor, you know, blonde-haired European and, you know, Superman and Batman. It's all these same kind of guys, you know. Anyway, that's my one more thing. One more thing. Mine's very simple. There's a band called Yuck. There's an album called Yuck. Trying to make it through the world. Wait, how do you say it? You just said it's, there's a band called Yuck. Yuck. Okay. There are umlauts on the U, Jack. No, 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 it's umlauts. Yes, it's not it's Yuck. It's Yuck. It's or Yon Wenner, so which is what I've been saying for like the last 25 so it's years. it's not a heavy metal one. I joke, I can call them the Smashing Pavements because they have that very early to mid 90s sound, very well, the drop tunings and the kind of odd, yeah, exactly. Stuff. Yeah. This record is fucking awesome. You should pick it up. That's all. Yuck. Yuck. Great name. Anyway. All right. And that does it for episode six of Mini Loper Bebop Band Meeting. We are right here in my dining room. I'm Jim Connolly. I'm not present. That's Tim Gaskell. I am. And that's Kirk Biglione. Yes. We know you have lots of choices for podcasts, and we're glad you picked ours. This is the only one that matters. This year. <laughs> I'm going to go there at some point. Me, Love, and Bebop, the only podcast that matters. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch you guys again next week. <laughs>